Clubhouse bonus episode, Creating Mental Health Supports for Teachers. Hey, Elite Educators, it's Gretchen here from Always a Lesson. I'm popping in here with a super exciting bonus episode. I have been leading chats on the Clubhouse app, which is an audio conversation platform for months now. I created the Instructional Coaching Club on Clubhouse, and I lead those chats Sunday nights at 8 p.m. Eastern, so I sure hope you join us. But if not, drumroll please, you can catch the replay right here. How cool is that? This is a new feature Clubhouse has rolled out, so the past chats we've held are not recorded. It's such a bummer. However, going forward, I will be sharing the replay with you here. Even more professional support for you on your edu leadership journey. So let's dive into the convo. Hey, Nicholas. I am just pinging in Charlie. She's going to be co-modding with me. Hey, Kim. Just pinging in. Hey, Ryan. New picture, Ryan. Very cool. The chat is open, so feel free to hit that little bubble at the bottom and say hello. Hey, Fancy, good to always see you. <laughs> Ryan says, never boring in my life. I like that. We need a little fun. All right, I'm going to try and ping her in again. We're going to be talking about creating mental health supports for teachers specifically because what we're doing isn't working. Some schools have some things in place. Some schools that have them in place are ineffective. Some schools have nothing. We're kind of all over the map and we're realizing teachers more than ever really need this. There's Charlie. So we're going to be talking about that tonight. Let me get you up here. Okay, great. Make you a moderator. Charlie, I'm going to ping some folks in, but why uh, I'm doing that, will you go ahead and give a quick intro for yourself and why you are very passionate about this subject? Hi, Gretchen. Okay. Hi, everybody. <laughs> Thank you so much for having me here. This is a wonderful topic. I am a former high school teacher who took on a lot of leadership in mental health because my curriculum allowed me to teach mental health topics. So I learned quite a bit from that. And I took on some leadership roles in the district. And so what I learned is that there were so many gaps in mental health and we all play a role in that. So instead of going the principal route, I decided to step out um, and get my master of social work so that I could understand the system part of it and how we could help fill those gaps and create sustainable solutions that will definitely last long term. So I'm really excited to share some of those ideas. That's where I'm coming from. I'm using my lens as a former teacher and a therapist. And by the way, I'm a parent too. I get it from that <laughs> lens as well. So great conversation today, Gretchen. Thanks for having me. Yes, of course. I know um, I've got some instructional coaches who are going to pop in uh, in a few more minutes once we get started. They are running a little late, putting kids down to bed and everything, and that's totally fine. Um, as always, those of you in the room, you know there's a replay, so if you miss anything or you have to pop out, no worries. You can catch it. Um, in the chat, Kim said, looking forward to the discussion topic. I am too, because as I was kind of alluding before Charlie came up, 
um, our schools just don't have a lot that's in place that's working. Some schools are kind of trying to hurry up and create something without the intention behind it to know, is this what teachers need? Is this, would this be helpful? How would this play out? You know, all the logistic pieces. And it's time, as we've seen through the pandemic time, but even prior, I mean, the stress and education has been climbing and it has created a lot of, um, emotional turmoil where you feel like I've gotten these degrees, I've put in the time to do my student teaching and dedicated myself to a district and worked my way up and I'm just not seeing the benefit. I want to quit and I feel guilt and how can I take care of myself when I've got these kids to take care of? Or for those of us in the room that are leaders, that we have teachers that we're taking care of who are also battling things at home and then in the classroom and I think this topic is really going to help us open our eyes to what are some of the top issues when it comes to mental health. What do we have the ability to actually help make better? Welcome, Marilyn. Good to see you. And um, what are the different ways schools can adapt it to meet their needs? So feel free to keep chatting it up. I love that you guys are um going in there and, and talking and feel free to ask questions or if you've got any commentary you want to share your personal story or uh, teachers who have struggled with something specific it's going to help us all to kind of have this open forum and and then i don't know if you know this but not only can you share this chat during the chat but afterwards if you think that there are a lot of ideas shared here tonight that could be helpful for other folks who didn't make it share it with them, right? Because it's not just helping our schools get better. It's it's everywhere. We want everyone to be able to emulate what is working, what's effective, so we can keep great teachers in the classroom while providing them the support they need to develop and thrive and, and deal with something that um, has been happening. Hey, Dr. Mina, good to see you. And Emily, I haven't said hello to you yet. So Charlie, based on my little introduction there, is there anything you want to add before we continue? No, I think it's um, just a good idea to think about how we all play that role. And you were mentioning how um, just, just about mental health in general, there's just so much to cover, but there are many people struggling and we forget, we forget that we're all human coming into all of these changes in the using the various lenses that we have. So I think we, we just have to look at this like it's a team effort. It truly is. We don't want to stand on an island anymore. What we need more than ever is to come together. So let's move forward with this conversation, just keeping that in mind. I'm just excited to put that at the forefront. Yes, absolutely. Makes perfect sense. Can we pull back the layers so we're all speaking the same language? When you're saying mental health, what is included in that? And is there something that we might think is included that actually is not? Fill us in on the background. Wow, that is so loaded because we talk so much about mental health, but people don't realize that it, it just connects with our physical health. Um, and I think a lot of people want to make, that, make sure that we refer to mental health and physical health on the same page these days moving forward. One of the things that my business partner and I do, um, we've been told by so many people, like you have to write, you have to write a book to get your ideas out. 
So that's what we're doing. And in doing that, it makes us really focus on what is essential and what is important. And so we identified nine behavioral health skills. So we, we believe, and this is all evidence-based and anecdotal and all our experience, we've identified these nine behavioral health skills because it's more um, of a comprehensive approach to solving the mental health gaps that I was talking about earlier in education. We have to go system-wide here. And so we believe if we equip people with behavioral health skills, that's all about um, not only mental health, but physical health, but changing patterns because we're stuck. So we need to be moving forward. What we've been doing for the last several decades is trying to add more social workers, add more um, school counselors, and that is all great stuff. We need to be we need to do that. Our funding needs to go towards that. The problem is the caseloads are still huge. Um, you people are stepping in and out of those roles so frequently that that rapport that's being built with students, um, it's not really addressing their needs. So when we're talking about mental health, it's really more encompassing about well, how does what we're thinking and how we regulate or are dysregulated with our emotions, how that affects our behaviors or how that affects our physical health. It all is a part of it. And let's talk spirit. Like how many teachers do you know that their spirit is just so low right now? We need to energize them. And so instructional coaches that are here in this room, we're equipping you so that you can better have that common language about what is mental health. Let's, let's not just blanket, have a blanket statement about that. Let's dive in and be very specific about what strategies you can use to support them and that we're all doing that together. So I know that that's a lot, there's a lot to answer there, but we'll do that in this conversation. Thanks, Christian. Yes, we absolutely are going to go that route and get dirty with all the strategies and thinking about how we can personalize them. So that's why I want to hear more in, in your chat of what wouldn't work when we're giving a suggestion, let us know what's the obstacle because now's the time to, to think through it and to then share it out as like, here's an option as we set up next year, we close out this year, or we're having our one-on-one -on -one exit conversations with teachers we've supported. And you can even say, I wish we had more in place to better support you. I saw you struggling. I did what I knew to be the best thing I could do, but I have an idea for what next year could look like. You know, just provide that encouragement that we are trying to better ourselves. We recognize the weaknesses that are happening in our schools. We value the personnel that we have because without them, we don't have our school. And we know that it is important to uh, maybe attack this professional world in a new way. I think it's been taboo in the past or people think you're weak if you can't uh, emotionally stay strong and, and just forget about whatever your problems are or you're facing or the internal turmoil or stress. And that's not healthy. And sometimes we don't see the effects of that right away. And it could be years in the making. And so a lot of teachers that are exiting it's not just this year. It's not just what happened this month. It's been building. And so if we can get to the root of some of this and keep it from building, we'll be able to have healthier, happier teachers for the longevity of their career. And Ryan was mentioning, think of the old school health triangle, all sides, mental, 
physical, social, all lead to overall wellness and affect each side, good and bad. It's a ripple effect. Yes. Couldn't agree more. Hey, Amber. Hey, Leora. Hope I said your name correctly. Um, and yeah, no teachers, no school, Ryan. You got You got to put teachers first. All right, Charlie, back to you. Can you remind us uh, when you think of the importance of the work you're doing, what is at stake if we do not correct the way we support our teachers in terms of their mental health? Great question, Gretchen. So anxiety and depression, they are big problems. We all know that. They're big problems for students, but they're also big problems for staff. And by the way, they're huge problems for parents. So we're in this cycle right now of where we have burned out teachers, but we also have burned out parents at home who are trying to support their kids. And everybody has this cycle of just more anxiety and more isolation. So one of the major issues is um, we, the lack of connection between home and school. And so one of the things we're doing is we're diving into the research to demonstrate how important, and we all know this anyway, how important it is to have a stable home life and um, good mental health and support there in order for kids to show up better with attendance, first and foremost, and to get their work done. And not only that, but be focused and present. But if you're sending your kid to a school where they don't feel connected um, or they're feeling alienated or, or just isolated there, we're perpetuating the problem. So one of the things that we're trying to do is offer SEL classes. And Dr. Mina is in, in this room and she's an excellent leader. She understands this problem well because we've been in partnership and we've been working with their district. And what we've understood is that teachers love learning about SEL and they want their kids to learn it. Here's the problem with that. If we're just teaching one-off classes to students once a week, some, some schools are lucky to do that a few times a week, every day, great. The problem is if you give them the skills but you send them right back into that environment that is stressful, it's just not going to help in the long term. And so, again, it goes back to, well, let's just add more school counselors. Well, what happens when we add a school counselor or a new social worker to the school? Um, a, lot of school um, a lot of school social workers are stepping out because they're getting paid better uh, when they're in private practice and they have more flexibility of their schedule and it's more controllable in their environment. That's low, less stress for them. And so then let's think of... Um, teachers. So a lot of teachers are stepping out because they're trying to find a way not to show up to school so stressed. And really, it's an environmental issue. So if we connect the school to the parents and the students have to be a part of that solution as well, we're really having a thriving whole system. It is a systemic issue and it cannot be fixed. So we're looking at long-term solutions. And this has to happen. So there's a ton of funding out there. There's a, a, a way for us to all come together, but everybody's got to be a part of it in the building. So anybody who works with kids has to address the problem and be better equipped. So we are not just going to teach one-off SEL classes, or, or some schools are amazing at it. They do it every single day, which is great. But if you're not equipping teachers with how to properly respond to kids when they're showing anxiety, or by the way, themselves, 
or how they can effectively work with parents to have better communication to make them feel included and a part of the solution too, we're still gonna have a fractured system. So it's a systemic change that we need to have. So we need to equip everybody and we have to uh, make sure that it's reinforced on a, on a whole daily basis. I mean, that's why it's a long-term solution. It will work, but there has to be um, a way to infuse that into everyday practice so it's seamless and we're not adding more to the workload. We're having them do it in such a way where it becomes an innate part of the culture. So that's the long-term solution. And I'm telling you, it can work. Yeah. Well, you know, it works, right? Uh, yes. And I'm thinking of working with adults and it mimics some of the strategies you're mentioning with uh, addressing it with kids. And one thing that I've, I've realized is sometimes we aren't even as aware as we should be for things that are triggering to us or our even status. Uh, wow, I'm getting stressed or I, my anxiety just went up and people next to us hold us accountable and say, Hey, are, are you okay? What's happening? And you're like, I didn't even realize that my face and my body was changing based on whatever just triggered me. Thank you for letting me know because that lets me know I've got to implement my first strategy. And same thing with kids. Sometimes they're just not even aware that these things are happening inside them until they just burst open. And even then, sometimes they're not able to speak about it. So I think if we all realize we have work to do with uh, that metacognition of, of knowing and understanding what we're thinking and what we're feeling, and then have some um, things in place to address or have a step-by-step um, pathway in order to address what we're feeling and what we know we need. And I know a lot of folks think, again, another thing that's taboo is therapy. But um, from what I've heard other teachers share with me is it provides them the tools for that awareness. And then they're able to already know when things happen, this is what I do. And if we can equip ourselves, that means we're better able to help the kids. And it just like you mentioned, Charlie, it's got to be the way we operate, that we acknowledge that feelings are part of the human experience, um, that there are things that trigger us throughout the day. And if we don't deal with them or acknowledge them, they can propel out of control. And that whatever's happening with us with adults is also happening with kids. So we can't just pretend it doesn't happen and we can't just not talk about it and we can't just not address it. And like you mentioned also, it's, it's all stakeholders having this understanding and the commitment to honoring each other when you're going through something um, or preventing something that could alert you or, or send you into a tailspin and really hold space for someone to say, I know the strategy I need right now and I'm struggling to, to get there. I am having an emotional reaction or I just need a second and already being able to say, this is our, our, our plan B, or this is what we're going to do. And, and we'll get into all those specifics in a minute, but I wanted to ask you, Charlie, are you seeing, especially in adults, something that's really not working in schools, even though it has the best of intentions? Yes. Um, so I think what's happening with the communication between school and parents is that there's, there's a lack of communication or there's a, an animosity there. And there's history behind that. 
I know for lots of different reasons, um, but we've got to stop pointing the finger at each other and we've got to realize that we all have to accept who we are and who we are today and how we're showing up to our role and how to be more inclusive. Um, and that means being able to relate to other people better is it's a skill. And that's what I was telling you before we've identified these nine skills where the first three skills are all about self. They're all about, well, I've got to accept who I am right now because there's a lot of stuff I'm bringing into my daily life when I show up to work with my kids at home or with kids at school. I have to know where that's coming from and I got to accept that and figure that out. And then there's other pieces to that too, right? Where you have to learn how to manage yourself. Well, we've talked about that before. We've talked about, everyone understands about self-regulation, but what does that mean? Well, can we control our thoughts? You talked about metacognition. That's so important. Having an awareness of what we're thinking, we have to train ourselves to do that, but we can do that. And so having the awareness of who we are in the space that we show up to, and then having skills to then relate to others, there's a skill set in that, like being informed about how you respond to somebody, knowing about what does trauma look like? What does ADHD look like? Because guess what? They show up in very similar ways. And if I'm labeling that kid as an ADHD kid, um, then I may be misguiding that kid, right? Whereas we could have easy techniques that we just don't worry about labels. We're gonna infuse it into the culture of how we're gonna deal with um, any quote unquote behavior issue. We're going to just have grounding techniques that we sneak into lessons or we're going to teach all of these things and talk about it in a way where we have a common language. So the communication piece is lacking because we're all kind of fed up and when we're stressed, um, we're more irritable, right? And when we don't know what to do, we often either do nothing and avoid it altogether, which isn't great, um, or again, we get irritable and we start pointing the finger because it's very hard to manage ourselves when we're so overloaded. And that's what's happening in the education system right now. So what I want people to understand is let's take a quick example. So PBIS is great. It's a great system. There's a lot of positive pieces of PDI, uh, PBIS, okay? Um, and any tiered systems, they have great pieces to it. A lot of them are missing the trauma lens. A lot of them need to be updated. And so a lot of schools and districts are getting that training, which is great. But if you're giving it to a certain group of people and training them, and you're not training other people who deal with kids, or by the way, parents or kids themselves, then you're not having a shared common experience. So that's one thing that's lacking is that we're doing things in piecemeal and we're not infusing it into the culture for long-term sustainable change. And so going back to that communication to kind of wrap up this answer to you is if you have a kid who has a, an issue and they're on a behavior plan and you are not letting that teacher, um, if that teacher doesn't have an easy communication back to the parent where nobody's blaming each other, it's truly a partnership. They're working together to help that kid. And by the way, when you help that kid, that supports the teacher in the classroom and the parent at home. If you look at it like that partnership, the communication has got to be consistent. But if it's not easy, it's not going to be consistent and then something's lost and then somebody gets angry. So that's one of the things I see a lot is there, is well in, there are well-intentioned 
school counselors, for example, who have great plans for their kids at school, but then the communication consistently is lacking back home. And so that parent who really would be a great support isn't even knowing how their kid did that that day. They might find out at the end of the week that there was a problem, right? So there's, there's a lot of little pieces to this, um, but there's, there's definitely ways through it. So that's my long answer to that question. <laughs> There's so much more to say. <laughs> I know, I know. Um, and I agree, PBIS and many other programs, they all have great pieces and are well-intentioned, but they need to evolve. They need to evolve as we evolve, as we uncover what our kids need. They need to be personalized to what um, specific traumas are on our campuses or what our teachers are facing. And um, it made me even think about professional development and our, our teachers very well have behaviors where they need to stand up, they need to walk around, they need to talk it out. And we look at them like, God, that person's on their phone, or they're always talking to the partner and they're not paying attention. And we start labeling adults as having these issues or non-compliance behaviors. And sometimes it's just learning styles like kids. And we have to really think about, um, are we giving people space to learn how they need to learn kids and adults? And are we making it a safe place for them to advocate for what it is they need? And once they advocate, how do we allow them to kindly remind us when we're not effectively meeting that or when they they're like, listen, I need a break. I'm, I'm mental overload or I'm coming in stressed off this day. I need to walk the track for two minutes before I'm back in here and, and giving it my all. And I think the more like you, you're mentioning the partnership, the, it's not just parents and not just teachers and not just kids, but we have to have accountability within our teams, within our administrative groups, within the teachers themselves so that everyone has that safe place to go uh, to hold them to the standard. Like, I know you're a great teacher. You can push through this. This is going to be a great learning experience today. What do you need right now? I see that you might need a moment and, and to be, but so much needs to happen before that. You can't just expect a bunch of strangers to suddenly be like, hi, I'm freaking out right now. You know, that's just very vulnerable and maybe a little too honest. And so when you're thinking about, oh, let's do some cool brain breaks or get to know you activities, are these getting to the root of the type of culture you want to have or is it service level? And start thinking about those back to school meetings and, think, and, and tell teachers, hey, if you want to have a relationship where you can have these conversations with your kids and understand what they're going through and help them navigate their feelings and thoughts and advocate for themselves, then you need to set up the culture as well, which means you're diving in deeper and giving them the opportunity to share whether they write a secret journal to you or they have a little buddy that they talk to or talking with the school counselor. Like we can't just keep doing these fun get to know you things for adults and kids and expecting that voila in a day everyone's willing to reveal their deepest darkest secrets and get help and support in the way they need it um now it doesn't mean you have to divulge everything but the point is when you're carrying stuff you need a, a safe place to be able to say i'm carrying stuff and this is what i need today because i have a, a lot to accomplish and i'm willing to do the work I need help. I need whatever it is that the roadmap to get there. So I'm glad that you brought it up that 
let's look at the programs that we have in place in our schools and decide, is every piece helping us move forward and, and better supporting teachers and kids? And if not, what is that piece and, and what could it potentially look like and have that conversation now as we have summer to brainstorm and think it through and meet, um, of course, connect with Charlie and say, hey, I've this is on my mind and do you think this would be effective? Have you seen this work? Am I missing something? And I'm sure she'd be willing to, to chat with you about it. But the point is uh, we got to do something and we got to do it consistently and we got to have everyone on board. So I'm loving everyone chatting. And Dr. Mina, you said, we have to talk about it. Yeah, we it's, it can't be like the elephant in the room. And she made the connection to the movie Encanto where everyone now that song's going to be in your head. We don't talk about Bruno, but she's like, we don't talk about trauma. No, no, no. And is absolutely right. We just like, eh, it doesn't exist. Let's keep uh, going along. And then you wonder why student achievement's not great. You wonder why teacher proficiency is not increasing. You wonder why teacher retention's in the toilet. You wonder why you can't hire folks to teach in the building or get subs. It's a domino effect that gets ugly and gets ugly quick. Um, I'm so glad you guys are enjoying this chat. And Charlie, you're providing so many great nuggets. Welcome Nikki to the room. Y'all, as a reminder, feel free to just add your comments or questions in the chat and we'll be sure to get to it. And Charlie, if you have resources that you want to lead us to for some of this information, feel free to um, attach it to the top there and folks can peruse it later or now during the chat. But let's dive back in. And I was thinking about how to make things more effective. So if, if this group right now is uh, self-reflecting and they're thinking about what's already available at their school to better support the mental health of, of teachers specifically, what would be a good next step for them to either make it more effective or if maybe they don't have anything and to just get something in place? What's a good place next step for them? So one of the problems in the system right now is um, a lack of trust with um, leaders that teachers have, which is why they're so burnt out and they're just, they're apathetic. The worst place a teacher can be right now is, um, in, in apathy. They, we don't want that. We want them to be energized. Um, and the other piece to that is we want to be able to um, ask teachers what they need instead of impose it on them when we've, we were just trying to, to lead with our own thoughts. But the best way we can do it is ask teachers what they need. So if you're an instructional coach and you're trying to support them and help them come up with something that will energize them in the classroom, Ask them what is lacking. What would make their experience better? What is on their mind um, that we might be able to infuse or sneak into the day that would help benefit them and their students? Everybody knows that when you've got a teacher who is excited to be there, the students will have a way different kind of energy. Um, and so we always start with connection, but again, if the teacher's not energized, it's not there. So if you just follow Twitter, and you have noticed that in the last month, all of these teachers, mind you, I know negativity bias is out there. We, we, are, we tend to be more negative than positive. So let's keep that there. Um, and, and trauma and all of those things that we're experiencing or stress, it's not an excuse to, do, you know, to not show up to our job. It's just understanding it, right? 
So building trust again is, is really critical. So the one thing we can do is say, what do you need? And let's see if we can help you get there, right? Because a lot of times I notice in the professional development that we do, um, teachers just want to talk about these issues. They want the space to just get it off their chest because they're carrying it around with them everywhere and they don't think anyone understands them. They feel like they're going through this in isolation and so they're realizing that they just want people to regard them of having a voice and what can do what can be done better. I can't tell you how many people, how many teachers on Twitter ask for more supplies um, that they don't have to spend the money on themselves. I don't understand why we can't do that. I know there is a systemic issue for that, but it seems to me to give teachers, I don't know, with all the funding we have, a hundred extra dollars so that they don't have to buy pencils for the year. I feel like that might solve a small problem for some teachers. Like some of these things, it's just hearing what they have to say and validating that. Some of it's that simple. I'm not kidding you that I'm finding that over and over again. Now, some of it's a lot deeper because they've been in the system so long. Um, again, there might be family life stuff that's coming up that we don't know about and we'll never understand. And there might be something that's being triggered by being in that space with a leader or somebody else or a student and they don't even understand what's going on. Um, so we just, having a space to talk about this is a really good place to start. And we talked about that before. Um, and you mentioned advocacy, Gretchen. It's important that we learn to not only advocate for ourselves, but do it in a way that's respectful. A lot of us, when we don't know what to do, we either do nothing or we do it in a way that again, we use irritability or frustration to try to get our message across. And what that does is it, it um, puts up the barriers rather than creates the bridge so that we can work together. And so if people were just uh, felt more trusted or trusting of people who were supposed to be looking out for them and giving them um, the trust to be a professional, that would be helpful. So I taught in Canada and in Canada, they pay you very well. Um, and I know a lot of states do too, but they pay you very well. The benefits are incredible. Um, and more importantly, you are seen as a professional. Teaching up there is a profession. In the United States, teachers don't feel that way, but they do so much work that's so important. So getting that trust back and shifting the way we think and talk about um, and how we talk about this is really essential in how we move forward. And again, you mentioned um, the topics and uh, Dr. Mina mentioned like some things that we, we don't talk about. People crave talking about this. We have to talk more about suicide. Now, it is a topic that is, um, people have to learn how to talk about it. Uh, we don't just hand that over to people and say, just go talk to your students about suicide. No, we need to equip them with that. But once we do, um, we at least, we don't shut anybody out that way. Now it's, it's something we can talk about and let people know that there are resources. One of the things that's happened, um, one of the things that was a turning point for me as a teacher is I had a student who came in and you, everybody will understand this. I had a student come in to talk to me and this was in the middle of just other students were leaving and new students were coming in. So I had 30 students leaving and 30 new students coming in in a matter of five minutes and I'm trying to get ready with my notes for the next class. And one of my students came in and he said, Mrs. Peck, can I talk to you? And I was like, well, I'd love to talk with you, but this isn't a great time. Can you go talk to the school social worker? And I could see on his face, he said, 
No, because I only trust you. And so how many students do we have that are connected with certain teachers, but they don't feel equipped? And so when that happened, had I had all of these skills that I'm talking about, um, that, I, that I had myself, um, or that, by the way, we had given to Ryan, the student, or other teachers or other people in the building or some, somebody who um, has bus duty uh, noticing Ryan and maybe having a conversation with him. If we all had those skills and we were equipped, I may not have felt like I was dismissing Ryan by saying go talk to the social worker because I didn't want to push him away. But I had 30 other kids coming in the class and how many times do teachers deal with that? Tons. And they don't talk to anybody about it because they're so busy. So these are the things that we have to address. And that's just, just one little one, right? But it's a systemic issue too. Like if we had protocol in place to help Brian, he may know that the social worker might be better equipped in that moment to help him. He may have actually set up an appointment ahead of time if you had that, pro that process in place. A lot of people don't, don't do that. And a lot of students don't even know that there's a school social worker and they don't even know what they do. They don't even know that they, there's a... You know, community resources, a lot of them just, just don't have this information. But guess what? Everyone knows what to do when there's a fire drill. Everybody does. And how many fires are in schools? And how many kids show up with anxiety? And how many teachers? But we just don't know what to do. So again, Gretchen, you know that there's a lot we can say about this, but I'll put it back to you so you can direct it the way you'd like to, because it's a big conversation. It is. It's so multi-layered, but it's getting us thinking to evaluate where our schools are and what we have the power to do. And it's start the conversation now. Let's not wait until it's it's too late or wait to the, oh, I'll talk to my principal at the beginning of next year and figure it out. And I'm not going to put it off on someone else to figure it out. I'll wait till the district outlines some protocol for us. Like, no, each one of us in this room is able to do one thing differently to impact people around us, specifically the teachers who then can learn the skills to also pass on to their kids. And it's essential uh, as a society that in order for us to have a successful future that we figure this out and we figure it out now looking in the chat Kim was mentioning she just went to a viewing for her friend's 14-year-old son today due to suicide. Kim, I'm so sorry and horrible for that friend of yours and that whole family. Um, I don't know specifically if that's preventable um, in that situation, but I do hope and wish and believe that if we had things in place, it doesn't have to get that far. And I truly think that what kids are facing and, and adults are facing that had we intervened early, earlier, even in the same way, and Charlie, you were saying, you know, just that trust with that one kid wanted to speak just with you, who knows how that would have, you know, changed yeah. things, right, and, and benefited in a good way. So I, this is more important than curriculum. This is helping people and helping them thrive and become their best. And, you know, no content is going to be able to touch that. Uh, this is the first layer we always talk about students need to be fed, they need sleep, and they need to feel safe. And this is part of that safety. And adults is the very same thing. And in order for them to show up prepared, being able to do their job well for kids, 
they need this mental health taken care of and have things in place that we're not expecting perfection. We're not saying it's going to go away, but if we can uh, have systems and routines in place, I think we'll have more effective schools. Um, and I'm so glad you shared your perspective, Charlie, on, on Canada. I've heard a lot of good things just about the respect and the balance and um, that in itself has just really allowed folks to thrive. So I'm sure if you have any other tips that you learned in terms of mental health from being there, uh, you know, throw those into the conversation as well. Yeah, I mean, when we're talking about this too, we're, we're talking about some of the things that teachers take home. So Canada was really great about support and, but of course, every, you know, there will be people there who complain about the system there too, of course. But it's important that we understand, and we do, we all do this because we work with kids and we care so much. Teachers are rock stars. Anybody who's in a school building supports staff. I mean, office staff, uh, the caretakers, the janitors, they're everybody. Um, there's so many people who are invested in those kids' lives and make these connections. But a lot of them feel so overwhelmed because they feel ill-equipped. And there are so many teachers who really want to feel equipped. 93% of teachers actually is one of the, the, the data. They feel ill-equipped, but they'd rather want to know how to best support their students through anxiety, for example, like they know when they mention that there's a presentation that they, a kid has to do or a test coming up, they can see that shift on their students and their students' faces. And so they don't really, some do, but some don't know what to do about that or how to have a conversation around that or how to support a kid. And then what happens is um, the kid might go see a social worker and come back to the room or school counselor or come back to the class with a plan of not doing the presentation or doing it in a different way that the teacher didn't set up for them. And so the teacher, if they're not a part of the conversation, then they feel like, well, everybody's overstepping me. What, why, I'm like, where is my voice here? I need my student to do this. I don't think it's fair. If they had more understanding, they might really get it. One of the things that happened to me early on in my career, which was the biggest turning point in my career, I was a newer teacher, is that I had a student who kept leaving my class without asking or signing out or anything. And I'm like, what the heck is going on? And so a couple of times I, I was like, this is wrong. This is so, I can't believe that. How disrespectful. So I, I called the parent. The parent didn't get back to me. What happens is the parent called the principal and the principal called me into the office. Well, what happens there? If you're the principal and you're telling a teacher that you want to talk with them and you don't have a premise for that, what do you think that teacher's feeling and experiencing for that hour or whatever time that is before they have to go? Okay, so that's effective, right? Whereas you could have had a simple um, couple of words to say, it's okay, we're going to work it out, don't worry, I'll talk to you in an hour, right? So it's just little things that we can do. Um, but anyway, so I got to the principal's office, and I'm like, what? I'm already, my back is already up, right? Because I'm already defensive. And he, the principal told me that I, can't, I have to let that student come in and out as, as the student pleased. And I was like, excuse me, like that's wrong. How, that's not fair to other students. So nobody told me why and nobody gave me anything else. Time went on and that student did it. And I was getting more frustrated every time the kid did that. So one day I'm walking outside of the 
uh, my class, uh, it was my planning period. And this same student is sitting outside the bathroom crying and I had never seen her like that. So I tried to uh, sit down with her and do you think she wanted anything to do with me? No, she hated me because I didn't, you know, we didn't connect at all. So I stopped teaching her. It wasn't a great semester that the semester ended. I, she was out of my classroom and within a year I had tried to talk with her, but she didn't want anything to do with me and she passed away. And she actually had had a terminal illness. She had AIDS. And nobody told me. Nobody told me I had a student who was 15 dying in my class. Do you think my attitude towards her would have been much different about leaving the bathroom because her body couldn't handle anything that she was putting into it? Do you think I would have handled that much better? Nobody equipped me. And so that was a huge turning point for me and got me thinking much differently about students who are walking through my classroom. So connection for me started that day and my entire experience changed from that day on. And I have been speaking about this ever since that we have got to have better communication and trust our teachers not to, not to give up confidentiality, but dang, we've got to trust them more. Wow, Charlie, I can't even believe that that happened. I feel horrible for you. Hindsight's twenty twenty. We all wish we had access to information earlier. And you just don't beat yourself up because you know now that, you know, you would have done different had you known. But you're able to use that as a catalyst to be passionate and share everything that you're learning and really help heal some other people who are understanding and can connect to what you're sharing, especially in this chat, you'll see all these stories, everyone's sharing, um, really feeling like, yes, this is needs to be talked about in schools. Kim said one school she was at the counselor had kids come up with a list of five trusted adults and urge them to come to her if they needed help coming up with five. And that's again, not just talking about mental health, but here is the game plan. When things don't feel normal or right, here's what you do. Here's step one. And so we've got to push ourselves to go beyond just the fluff of let's acknowledge it and uh, let's talk about it, that it exists, but that we then know, okay, what are we going to do? So I like that, Kim. Thanks for sharing. Ryan asks a great question. Go ahead and answer, Charlie, if you feel led to. He says, do you think teachers are uncomfortable dealing with mental health issues because they do not want to step over? Oh, that just moved on me. Sorry. Oh, now I got to go back. Hold on. Step over boundaries or fear of parents getting upset. Of course, right? We've been conditioned that we are separate, that we are not a part of a system together, partnering, right? And so when we have that, we have a level of trust and comfort, rapport, connection to where we know everybody's looking out for each other. So we don't have that animosity. When we remove that, it is a thriving system. It totally is a thriving system. I'll tell you why I know that because I was a part of one myself. So when I advocated for this and, and got to lead teachers in discussion about what we're doing for mental health, just being able to talk about these things was a relief because we carry this home with us all the time. 
And then when we don't know, we make assumptions, which is detrimental, right? The, look what I did. I made that assumption and I never, I never, I was so bitter. I never got to connect with that girl. Had I looked at it differently, how many kids are sitting in our buildings carrying stuff that we won't even know about? So what I'm asking everybody to do, like, like Ryan, yeah, totally. Like we need to set up boundaries for ourselves because um, we don't want to overstep parents. We don't want to overstep teachers, other teachers, right? We don't want to overstep the mental health team. But what we can do is we can come together in a partnership so that nobody feels more important than the other. And when we work within a system, any system, any system, because of status or um, our, our title, right, or our credentials, we sometimes feel like what we have to say is more important than the next person. But I can tell you from personal experience and professional experience that the person, the lunch lady who is seeing the same kids every day and building a rapport is just as important in the connection of that school and that community of parents, teachers, and everybody who visits that building and the kids. Everybody is just as important when we're all trying to create this culture of connection and, and moving together forward. So if you leave people out, like we're not gonna cross confidentiality, of course. There's, there, there are certain things that that's part of advocacy, right? If the student gets to have a voice, well, that student didn't want to tell me that she had AIDS. She didn't want to tell me. I don't blame her. But there could have been a communication to say, listen, if you let your teacher know that, uh, if we can tell your teacher that there's maybe something that you're struggling with, she doesn't have to know any details, but she'll she'll want to support you better. You're darn right I would have wanted to support her better. So it's not about crossing confidentiality lines because there's policy, there's all of that stuff that the people up top, they have to decide, right? And there's reasons for that. But when we're there every day with these kids, we have to have some, like get back to basics of being human for crying out loud. Like one of those skills I told you about, Gretchen, and everybody listening in the very beginning, those nine behavioral health skills, one of them is empathetic listening. Now, if you listen with empathy to people and you validate how they're feeling, you're not solving anybody's problems. And in fact, we tell you, don't do that. Stop doing that. They don't want, to, they don't want you to solve their problem in that moment. They want to be seen and heard. But how can you soften that situation so that their emotions at that point do not get big? Because... I mean, how many of us have had a student telling us to F off before? I certainly have before I was equipped. And do you think it happened since then? No way. Not because I'm awesome, because I'm equipped and I have an understanding. And so it's like if you take a test and you study for that and you are ready for it, you have that confidence. When you don't know what to do, you often do nothing or you avoid it. But if you have the tools, in the strategies and you have a common experience with people around you um, then it's it it's a working system and we can totally get there we can do it i love it i want to say hey to jamal and tazia i hope i'm saying your name correctly chats on fire you guys are asking a lot of good things and sharing some great things nikki says 
Most teachers I've spoke with feel as though they don't want to hold morning circles, which builds trusting relationships and deeper connections with their scholars because they are afraid of having those deep real life conversations and not having the right answers. And I think that's a valid point about, you know, what you were just saying, Charlie, sometimes it's not about solving the problem or giving the solution. It's giving space to be heard and, and validated. And if morning circles aren't what teachers want to do, then us as leaders, we're to say, hey, kids need a space to talk. If it's not morning circles, what could it look like? I mentioned before journaling technique, or I had a box in my classroom that students could anonymously ask questions or, or tell me something that they uh, needed me to be aware of. And it was really insightful to know who's struggling with, hey, stop. Can we stop the time test? I'm freaking out. I can't focus. I'm nervous about being nervous and I'm not performing well. Or another one, said, I really can't get the science vocabulary down and I'm embarrassed in front of my peers. How can we memorize? Do you have tricks? And that's beneficial to share with everybody because other kids need help memorizing. And so I would just tell your teachers, um, think about other ways that would allow kids to feel safe. And, you know, you're mentioning before confidentiality. I had a teacher coach I was coaching and she said, I'm going through something at home. So she was vague, but she at least told me. So I knew in somewhat realm what's happening. She said, some days I'm going to come in a mess. And I, I think if we just have a code word, you'll know that maybe that's the day you give me a little more space, or maybe you check on me a little bit more. And so her code red was duck. I don't know why she wanted a rubber duck, duck. I don't know. And uh, she would flag me in the hall or sometimes quack or whatever. And that was my signal that not a good day. And we had an observation scheduled and just said, I have to get you in. If it's not today, it has to be in the morning. Can you make that happen? And she said, you know what? I honor you how you've been honoring me. I'm going to make it happen. And then if you can give me some space afterwards to just uh, be a human and, and maybe we can push the debrief off a day or two. I was like, absolutely. Great compromise. She leveled with me. I leveled with her. Uh, I didn't need to know specifics, but she was willing to, to be open. And that was only because of one-on-one -on -one conversations. And so uh, I know a lot of instructional coaches feel like they can't get into everyone's classroom if it's not mandatory to work with a coach. And so you're thinking, how can I build relationships with people? I can't even get in there. Well, relationships happen in the hallway and during PLCs and during professional development and on carpool duty and in the workroom, lunchroom, everywhere. So if you're only trying to build connections when you're in front of people leading them, uh, it's not going to work. Right. So think about all the nooks and crannies in your day where you can show up and, and build that trust, which seems to be a common theme that we are, are hearing tonight. Let's see what else is going on. Ryan asked another good question and Charlie, feel free if you can answer this one. Does HIPAA have anything to do with the lack of communication between parent schools, teachers? Yeah, and so I did address that. Thank you, Ryan. That's such a great question because, again, that's that's another kind of policy that we have to abide by. That's in place for a reason. It's for protection, which, listen, as a, as a social worker, yeah, I abide by HIPAA as well. I mean, I get it. What I'm saying is um, I do believe we can still have some constant communication, even if it's brief, even if it's just saying, 
I know this student is going to be coming into your class. Um, they, if you could just let them um, sign out when they need to and come back, there's a reason for it. We trust that uh, you understand, right? Like basics. Um, and we don't have to give up all the details because there's reasons for that. And it protects us too, by the way. It does protect us as well. And they have the right, students and parents have the right for, of confidentiality. But it's like any policy. I mean, Ryan, there's going to be policies in place that we are never going to agree with as we are in our role in any, any system. I mean, you could be in the medical world and not like a policy that's in place. Uh, but we have to abide by it. We work within a system. We just have to do it. So it's fine. We will do that. Um, but the problem is, is when you get apathetic or you feel like you're not trusted or you feel like you're never heard or seen and you can never give input, even though you are a professional uh, and the kids are the ones in your class that you care about, that you're taking home with you, you're falling asleep at night thinking about their well-being. If we're not addressing that at all, then we're not, we're not doing it the way it needs to be done moving forward in the world that we live in today. Well said. And Dr. Mina is even chiming in, you know, it's time to really rethink some of these policies and put pressure on what's not working and what's not protecting uh, and safeguarding uh, teachers and to be effective and students to, to achieve. So this conversation is really opening my eyes to where we can make, take a route and what would be a first good step in thinking about um, back to school time when you're meeting with teachers, you might even ask a reflective question like, hey, when you're having a good day or you're having a bad day, what happened prior to you deciding it's a good day, it's a bad day? And when folks start thinking, huh, oh, okay, well, when it's a good day, the weather's nice, um, I, did, I had time to talk to friends and family on the phone, um, I got some fresh air walking the dog. I got all my task lists completed and I got to sit down and watch my favorite show or something, for example. And then maybe someone say, you know, a day I consider it a bad day when I'm running late, when all my lesson plans are due, uh, when I have an observation coming up, it makes me real nervous or I've had a fight with a colleague, whatever. And then you can say, hey, you actually have more power than you realize to determine if your day is going to be good or bad. Yes, those things are happening to you, but how you deal with them when they're happening is what actually impacts the outcome. So if you're going to sit and stew on something that's happening, yeah, your day is going to be bad because you're allowing that emotion to continue to flow through your body. You're now snapping at kids. You're not wanting to plan with your colleagues. You're out there at recess on your phone, not supervising, on and on it goes. But when you recognize that really hurt me or that really made me upset, if I sit here and keep thinking about it, I'm not present for what's happening in front of me. I can't deliver great content and be responsive to the questions kids have or the ones who are struggling, or the ones who are ready to go on. I'm not working well with my colleagues. I'm affecting my own performance. Yes, something happened to me. I cannot control that, but 
having the power to say in this moment, I'm experiencing this and I know what I need. And that goes back to that advocacy. And so if you can think of a list of reflective questions, you could ask teachers, whether it's during your PLCs or professional development, or if you have mentors meeting with teachers every month and there's like a checklist they use, having those question stems on there would be good. Um, or during your coaching cycles, it needs to be part of the fabric of the way we support teachers, which is kind of a theme that's come up tonight too. It needs, can't just be this one-off training. It has to be how we make space for the conversation to happen so we can build trust. And we get teachers thinking about themselves of, oh, this is why I think this way. This is why I feel this way. This is why I react that way. And when you can go backwards from behavior to emotion to thought, then you can start saying, I now know what I need in the moment to keep myself on the straight and narrow. Um, and of course, there's going to be things that happen and we're just spiraling out of control. It's too much at once or we're not getting our needs met and we're not able to access the resources that the school has or the district has or the state has. And then that's when that accountability partner comes in and, and say, SOS, like I've got, I need help. And, um, I can't be my best today. So as you're thinking through you leading teachers, what does that look like? It's it's in your questioning. It's in the everyday nooks and crannies. Like I said, help them name what it is they're experiencing. Put a name to it. Even if they make up the name duck, right? Put a name to it. And now say, okay, what do you need? So that that is no longer bubbling up and taking over. Uh, of your emotions or of your thoughts, because it's going to mean you're not clear, uh, clearly thinking and not operating at the best you can. And then you as a leader can say, can I even meet that request? Because they might say, I need to take the day off, or I can't show up on time tomorrow, or whatever it is. Can you meet that? Can you give them what they need? And oftentimes, sadly, our answer might be no, but... So allow teachers to brainstorm outlets and what is manageable for the staff to ask for. We all can't take the day off all the time, but what could we do in our day to give us the space? Maybe we have a uh, room where the lights are dark, there's soft music, and you can go in there for five, 10 minutes, the coach can cover the room. Uh, start brainstorming and being creative with what is in our power to control, instead of just saying, well, that's not going to work. I can't give you what you need. And then the teacher's now frustrated, right? So um, think about, okay, how can I start the conversation? And then how can I actually meet what it is they're asking for? Whether we provide them with training and resources or a game plan, not just talking about things, but okay, now shift to action. What are we going to do? And as Charlie's been saying, culture, it's just got to be the way we operate. It's got to be the vibe of the school. It's got to be how we treat each other and show up to each other. And when kids experience staff doing this for each other, they're going to want that from their teachers. And the teachers can teach the kids how to be there for each other. And the teacher can be there for them. And, and so you might think, Okay, it's a two-prong approach of let's get this rolling with adults and then let's help our kids. 
but this is the way schools need to be going forward. Uh, and this is the way our lives need to be. So feel free to get your family and friends in on these types of conversations as you're experiencing triggers in your everyday. It's not just for professional life. I mean, stress happens everywhere. Um, so I'll just pause a second, Charlie. I kind of got on um, my salt box there. <laughs> Sorry. Hilarious. <laughs> No, but it's good because once you have an idea, that's great. And you're addressing instructional coaches directly with strategies. That's what we want to do. That's great. They want that. Teachers want that. Um, anybody who works with kids want more strategies and tools. Guess what? District leaders want that too, because they know that the more tools you have to work with, the more confident in your ability to help support all of the diverse students that we have. Right. Um, and I wanted to touch upon a couple of things. Number one, the modeling is really important. If, if you've ever been a part of a building with their staff is so connected, it is amazing. Or a part of a team or a club where everyone just jives together. Like everybody is just so well connected. Those people want to keep showing up. So you will not have problems with teachers wanting to call in at that point. They will want to keep showing up when they feel good about the work they're doing and they feel trusted and supported and they have the tools they need to keep that going. They were there before, they want that again and we can, we can help them with that. Um, so I want you just to remember that feeling that you had when you walked into that building if you ever had that or that team or that club because that's where we wanna be. We're modeling that. I can't tell you how many students notice that when um, my group of teachers uh, we were so well connected and our energy was just amazing. They noticed it and they would talk about it. It was awesome. And guess what? Their energy was, it leveled up. It was great. It was such a great, fun experience. That's how we keep getting teachers back into the classroom. Uh, we won't have to worry about retention issues when we energize them and get them back to doing the work they really do want to do. They're rock stars. We have to go back. So we'll, we'll talk to instructional coaches here and problem solving. Let's start with teacher's strengths. Let's see who the people you have there because we want to power up the people. You've got what you need in front of you. We have to power them up. All of these programs and stuff, all of these pieces of things that we're coming in and just doing one piece at a time and throwing new stuff at them. I mean, how many times do you see teachers who love the PD, not always, but when they do love PD that they're learning, they want to implement it, but then they just don't have time. It's not ingrained in the culture. And so it, so it fizzles away. When you do it like this on, on a transformative approach, but something that they can just immediately use right away like when they do our training they literally have tons of things they can just start implementing right away that's easy so they're not overwhelmed um, they're not stressed and we have to address that we have to look at ways that we can help do that so the modeling is important those strategies that they can just infuse into everyday teaching and practice we want to give them that we don't want to have these um, products anymore we don't want to just throw new products at them we got to get back to basics. We've got to get back to basics. So I mentioned before how we have those nine behavioral health skills. And when I said that three are for self and three are for relational. And then the last set, by the way, is about how do we do this together? How do we do this together? Collaborative, like how are we going to come together and do this and help it make sense? So that's a, a huge piece for instructional coaches to learn how to use 
um, those strategies. And I'm not talking about like you have a decision-making pattern to follow. Like there's tons of that stuff out there. We're talking about how do you show up with somebody else, making sure that you each are bringing to the table a common goal, looking at each other's strengths and pairing them in such a way that it's going to be complementary to the space that you're, you're showing up in. How do you do that? Like, yeah, of course, resolution is their collaborative resolution. By the way, if you have um, people who are specialists and restorative practice, bring in that strength. We never want you to get rid of any stuff that you, anything that you're using that if it's working, heck yeah. So we're going to use that to help move forward and use that strengths-based approach. And then how do you come together together? How do you manage the relationship so that you use those boundaries? Um, of yours and you respect the other person's boundaries and you notice when they're crossing their boundaries and you say hey i'm going to advocate for you now right how do we do that or how do we use communication aside from like active listening which is good but empathetic listening or constructive communication how do we come together to solve that problem and by the way we're working in an education system how fast is everything moving really super fast we make so many decisions in a day, we have to be able to make decisions. So we have to, that align to what, like who we want to continue being. Otherwise we lose ourselves and we get home and we feel drained. So we have to learn how to always make those decisions in ways that are aligning to your, to who you want to be and continue being. Um, but like not the pro, right? Not like the decision-making model. It's how do we get to that so that we are very confident on a, a brain-based level of how to do that and feel good about it so that you're not having regrets and guilt all the time. You're not carrying that around with you. So this is what I'm talking about. There's a lot we can do, and we equip everybody in this program. Everybody's got to be equipped, right? Even if you don't do this, you, know, you don't contact me. You need to think about your school and come together and start talking with everybody about this because there's got to be a change. And I think we all know that we're there. <laughs> Amen. I want to address Kim's question really quick, and then uh, we'll share some last minute tips. But Kim said, I feel stuck between a rock and a hard place. I'm a literacy coach and teachers feel so defeated and unsupported by administrators. I'm new and have to work really hard to get teachers to trust me. And for some, it's just not happening. It's a pretty toxic place. And Fanti gives great advice you know, what focus on what's in your locus of control. And that was going to be my advice to you, Kim, is you have a separate relationship with teachers. You are not the administrator. Maybe you're not even privy to what's happened in their relationship and the, and, and the background and everything. It's, it's fresh between you two. You have your own relationship and partnership and continue to uh, direct the conversation to be about what you and I are working on together and how much improvement you've had and what I am able to do for you as a listener or a coach or a facilitator of the conversation or prompt you with questions. And anytime it's kind of gets to the let's blame administrators or let's talk about that and just guide the conversation back to what's happening in real time between the two of you, what you have control over together, what you can change. And, and that's what, how you kind of get over some of that toxic stuff of just repeating and venting and, but it's never really going into action. And it's not your place all the time to go and say, Hey, this is uh, kind of coming up. Could you guys squash this? <laughs> but it is good to know 
that that's a relationship where you can step in and say, hey, maybe I'll do this observation or, or maybe I'll go check in on her and see what's happening. You know, you check on the next few or, you know, it's helpful until to know who partners well and who can thrive under whom, but it is um, also great for you to just control what you can control and, and not worry about who thinks ill of who in the building because you, you can't do anything about that. So um, Charlie, I wanna give you a chance to share any last minute tips. I will put a link into, as a reminder of our summer virtual conference for coaches. So I'll put a link in the chat, but go ahead, Charlie, tell us one to, where to connect with you, find out more information and any last minute tips you have not had a chance to share yet. Okay. Yes. Um, if we keep doing the same things, we're going to keep having the same outcomes. So your voice does matter. I mean, the the more voices we have asking for something new, uh, the more they're going to listen. So we speak on your behalf. You're, you're talking about a very specific issue with being in a role of literacy. And you do only have a little bit you can work with, but you can strengthen that so much that it is a respite. It is respite for them to be in a space with you if you, do, if you just focus on that relationship, just like Gretchen said. That is a big deal for them in that moment that they really need it. So they will look forward to that. But if you guys get together and ask for change, that's how we create social change, right? When we, when we bring it up to the people at the top who make the decisions, that's where you got to go. If you want it, right? If you want it, it sounds like we all like these conversations. We feel like we need these conversations. We have, we have to just ask for it. What we do is we address the district leaders on your behalf. Once we can get there, we do that so that it comes down to you in a seamless way so that it takes it off your plate. We, don't, we advocate not to add more and more and more to your to-do list because we get you. I've been there, I get it. We understand it. So we're not going to do that to you. We, are, um, we, we need to get in front of district leaders. So that's, or even uh, school principals too, for sure. So we look out for you going to the top and guess what? We talk about changing policy too. And you're not going to change it and I'm not gonna change it, but together we can make a difference. We truly can. We can at least get that conversation started. And if we can't, if we can't change a policy, um, we can continue talking about it, but we can, again, it goes back to what Gretchen said, we can always control how we show up. It's a lot of work. It's not easy. I don't want, you know, we try to avoid the eye rolls because we get, yes, yeah, self-care. Well, how do I do self-care when I'm so overwhelmed? We get you. We get it. So it goes well beyond that. It is addressing everybody, uh, giving everybody a voice, and it's a systemic issue. But within the system, the constraint of the system, you get to decide how you're going to show up. And don't give up on the system. Just let, we need to pull people in who are on your side to, to do this together, right? Um, so that, it's kind of, there's so much to say about this. It's always hard to wrap this up in an hour, but I do respect everybody's time and I appreciate you listening. If you would like to just have a conversation about this or you, you're like, you know, I really want to bring this to my school principal or district leader, um, just have them go to calltsc.org, calltsc.org, Thriving School Community is the program what we do. 
and they can just set up a time just to do a 15-minute talk just to see about what we do or what we can do to get started. It usually starts with um, teacher professional development. By the way, there's a ton of funding out there depending on your state, but every state was given um, money from the federal government to support behavioral health. It's there. Uh, you just need to know how to look for it. So uh, if, you, if you just go to calltsc.org and you want to talk to me personally, I will show up for you. Okay? I'll put that link up. I think I need to just push a few buttons here, Gretchen. <laughs> yeah, it that. should be easy to put up. And I will share the replay. It, it lives here on Clubhouse, which is great. So if y'all need to hear it again. But I also will share this on a future podcast episode. So, Charlie, I'll link that as well in the show notes so folks can continue reaching out. Um, but in addition to what she's sharing there, follow her on social. Go to Charlie's profile. Just click on her face. Scroll to the bottom. You'll see she's active on Twitter, Instagram, and anywhere else, Charlie, that you like to hang and uh, let us know so we can connect with you on social media. You've been such a wealth of knowledge and uh, just a positive energy. Thank you so much for this space. You know what? Just just email me or, or let's meet up at Zoom. I just would love to see you um, and just hear about what's going on with you guys. We just, we want to offer anything we can to support you. So um, Twitter, yeah, for sure. I'm on Twitter. That's fine. Or email me, charlie at thrivingschool.org. I'm horrible at that part. Like as a teacher, a social worker, I'm not a salesperson. I hate that part. But just connect with me um, and we'll just talk a little bit more about this. Thanks so much. I appreciate it. Great. Charlie, I just want to say again, thank you for bringing this conversation to Clubhouse and giving us all opportunity to reflect on our own experiences uh, and how and, and give us an opportunity to think about what we want next year to look like and how we can, you know, partner with you as a resource to get that done. So thank you everyone else in the chat has been appreciative of the topic and the conversation. So cheers to you, Charlie, for being a great, amazing elite educator and really leading the charge for change. Thank you all for being here. Um, we haven't decided if we're going to take a break for the summer or keep going. So feel free to put in the comments if you want to spend your summer break relaxing and not on Clubhouse. I get it. Uh, or if you actually have more time to participate and you prefer the chats in summer, let me know too. So put that in the chat. Um, and Charlie, anything else? Last, last few words here. Let's just keep talking about this stuff, you guys. Do not stop. Keep keep the conversation going. And I'll be happy to jump back in anytime, Gretchen. Thanks, guys. <laughs> Thank you all. All right. Go have a great week. Talk to you soon. Go be great. Bye, guys. All right, Elite Educators. I hope you found value in that Clubhouse chat. All resources mentioned will be in the show notes. Just visit www.alwaysalesson.com. Click on podcast and find this bonus episode. Wishing you an empowered school year. Go be great.